to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. My dad has been preaching the gospel for a long, long time. My dad has preached all over America. He's preached in big churches. He's preached in little churches. He's preached, he's just about preached on every continent. Just about. He's, he's preached in Russia, Asia, Korea. He's, pre- he's Central America, South America. Dad has preached everywhere. God just opened doors for him. When he was a kid, God showed him that he was going to be preaching to ethnicities all over the world, and it came to pass. Is that cool or what? And I am just blessed to have him as my dad. He is a man of God. He's a man of integrity. Uh, I talk about him all the time. I love him. If I get up here too much, I'm going to start crying because he's my daddy. Down south, we love our daddies, don't we? You know I mean, don't, don't mess with a grown, don't talk about a grown man's daddy, we'll punch you. Then ask Jesus for forgiveness later, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just don't talk about our daddies. And I love my daddy. And my dad's been through a lot. A lot of you, you know, kind of picked up on things, but a few years ago, my dad had triple bypass surgery. And then after that, some few years later, he found out he had multiple myeloma, he had cancer. And he went through one of the worst things in the world for the treatment. He did stem cells treatment. Stem cells, great, but it is a, it's just a pain, literally. Uh, the things that he went through, my dad's tough. My dad is one of the toughest men I've ever known. I mean, I told my dad, you are one of the toughest men I've ever met in my life. Don't mess with my daddy. Anybody can beat cancer, they'll beat you. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? Just, that's, that's tough. And dad went through that and came through it and just God's helped him and, and he's just had to battle so many things. And, um, and, and so it's kind of put him where, you know, he retired, they go to church here and because of what he's fought, he hasn't really been able to preach. I think he preached for us on Wednesday night a few years ago, but it's been a while. And I'm gonna tell you something, when you're a preacher, you gotta preach. Even when you retire from pastoring, you still wanna preach. And I've told him many times, I said, Dad, when you think you're up to it, when you feel like you're up to it, you just give me, let me know. And we're gonna put you on our stage because I want the church to hear you. I want to hear you preach. And you know, recently he's been doing really good. And we knew the first Sunday, I'm I'm in growth track, and so Evan's been preaching some, and we got to conspire and we'll say, we'll just do a dual Sistar day. Grandpa and grandson. And so Evan preached in the first service, and, and so I said, Dad, will you preach in the second service? And he said, yeah. So I think he's up here, right? Pop, come on. I'm going to get to crying. This is big, y'all. Y'all realize this is big for my daddy. Come on, you, you let, let him know. This is big for him. I'm glad he's going to preach. Y'all get with him this morning. Thank you so much, Chris. Pastor Chris, he's my pastor and I love him so much. You can be seated. Well, no, no, stand up. We will. (laughs) Physical exercise. Our churches are good at that. Up and down, up and down. I'm going to sit down. You don't want me to fall off the all off the stage here and had to pick me up. You had to give me a moment. 
Um, I prayed for this moment. I begged God for this moment. I wanted to preach. So I'm going to try. I'm fighting the flesh. I'm fighting you know, all the pains, but he's a great God. And I thank you for singing that song. He's never going to let me down. Great God. I, I, I already feel good. You know, uh, I was telling him earlier, there used to be a guy in our church that uh, they hauled around on a a cot. His name was James Poe Jackson. Anybody ever hear him? I don't know if you did. Yeah, some of you did. And he'd get happy while he was preaching on that cot, and he couldn't get up, but he'd grab his pillow and throw it to somebody in the congregation and say, here, run around the church with that. <laughs> and they'd go run around the church with this fellow. Well, I may not be able to do that. I owe somebody if I, I'd like to run down the aisle. Maybe one of you will. But I'm just glad to be here. I, th I thank God for this moment. I really do. And I, I like to take a lot of time. Uh, boy, I've got a lot of time. They tell me if i got to go to 11, 1230, great day. I'm going to have to just rest a while. I may have to take one of my power naps right in between. But, uh, wow. I like to get... Uh, Maybe we can tag team again happen <laughs> if you need to come back up. But I'm, I'm just thankful to God uh, that I can be here today. Uh, if you had never seen a miracle, here, look, you've seen one today. My uh, nephrologist, that's the guy who knows about my kidneys. I wish you were here because he won't believe this. He doesn't believe that I should be doing anything. He thinks I ought to be in bed all the time. But, uh, boy, God is so grateful. And I get to testify to those doctors. It's so much fun. I enjoy that. Uh, I could talk about my family today. Uh, we're so proud of them. We're so thankful for, for all of them. And, but, you know, I thought about I don't have to say that because you know them. You know all of them. You know how great God has been good to us. Um, but uh, I just want to say he's been good to me above all uh, see I've had Phyllis all these years 56 years uh, I mean 54 years or 55 years better get that right 55 years at uh, Christmas and so uh, we've had that joy of living together but I, I thank God for his blessings I want to preach to you today, I guess, out of it, my experience. And uh, so let's go this morning to look at the scripture while you're standing and honoring God's word. Let me get mine out so I'll know where I'm going. Um, Jesus always tried to point to the Father. And so you look at this and see uh, in, in the scriptures, in the story, the parable that he tells today. You know what a parable is? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so uh, see where you can find God in this this morning. And uh, then we'll pray together before you're seated. And he said to them, 
Which you have a friend, and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. I want to talk to you today about will you have a friend at midnight? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings today. Thank you for this opportunity, for this privilege to look into your word. God, I just pray that you'll send that anointing today that makes preaching both easy and effective. That you'll touch our hearts and our lives today and let us learn from your word. And let us be strong in the power and the strength that you alone can give. We just ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Scripture I read to you today shows a couple of people in need. One shows up at a guy's house at midnight. Boy, you never want to hear the doorbell ring at midnight, do you? <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. You know, it was out there. You look through that little peephole. Got a peephole. We got one on ours. You're going to say, who is this at midnight? But he has a friend who comes by at midnight to see him. It's one of those times when uh, the refrigerator's empty. You know, your wife has said to you before you go to bed, honey, we don't have a thing in the house. We don't have any eggs. We don't have any bacon. We don't have any bread. We don't have any milk. I got to go to the grocery store tomorrow. And lo and behold, midnight doorbell rings. You go to the door, and there's your brother-in-law and his whole family. And it's a surprise. <laughs> Boy, they don't know how surprised you are. And you stand there thinking, good Lord, what are we going to do? And then they get at you. Hey, glad to have you here. It's wonderful. Have a good night's sleep in the morning. We're going to Waffle House. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. You got to think of something. But... This guy has a friend comes, and he has nothing to feed him. So he says to his friend, just stay here a minute. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to get some bread for us. And he goes out in the night. Now, back then, they didn't have street lights and flashlights. They didn't even have a phone that you could put a, turn your flashlight on. You couldn't. He goes out into the darkness of the night. He's already got one problem that's come at midnight. The one problem at midnight's a guy that shows up and he didn't have anything to feed him. Now he's got another problem. Now he's got to go out in the darkness and go find bread. Oh, great God. But he knew where to find bread. He knew where the house of bread was. Great God. He said, I'm going to the house of bread because I know where I can get bread. And he goes through the darkness and he goes to this house and he starts knocking on the door. But instead of the guy coming to the door and giving him the bread, the guy says, go away. 
Go away. I'm already in bed. My children are in bed. I, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see anybody tonight. And he says, just keeps on knocking. He's persistent. He may even say, hey, it's me. I'm your friend. Come help me. I want you to help me. The guy says, no, I'll just go away. But he doesn't, he doesn't leave. He stays there. He keeps on knocking and he keeps on knocking. And the Bible says he doesn't get up and give him bread because he is a friend, but he gives up, he gets up and gives him bread because he is persistent and he keeps on knocking. Now, you know what Jesus was teaching about in this? He was talking about the fact that you've got to pray. And in the times of midnight, great Lord, when it's dark, when you're going through struggles, when you're looking for an answer, when you're having all the problems and they're facing you in life, when you come to that time when you're desperate, you've got to keep on knocking. Praise God. You've got to keep looking to the Lord. You've got to expect. And he's saying to you, keep on praying. Because he said in the verses down below that, just ask and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. That's what the, the, the original says. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Keep on being persistent. But oh, how wonderful it is when you can know where the house of prayer of bread is, when you can know where to go in the time of your midnights. I think it's interesting to see why Jesus would tell a story like this. Why do you think he would tell a story like that? He talks about a man. He talks about somebody inside a door that you need to see. And then here's the interesting thing for us. We figured it out, haven't we? We're, we're the people who are going looking for bread. We're the ones who are in desperate need of help in this old darkened world. But isn't it interesting that God doesn't come to the door sometimes? Have you thought about that? God said, go away. Leave me alone. That, that to me is one of the most interesting things. Well, one of these, you know, you just got to understand, please understand that God answers prayer, but he answers in three ways. And you've heard this. He's, sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait a while. I'm in one of those wait a whiles. <laughs> but boy, this wait a while is good. You'll have to understand that. That's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at today. Just, uh, why did God not come running immediately to him? Here he is at the house of bread. He knew where to find it. He knew where his needs could be met. But the guy says, go away. But he stays there and he keeps on knocking. And he keeps on knocking. And because of his persistence, because of his persistence, because of the fact that he keeps on knocking, the man gets up and Bible, the Bible says he gives him all that he needs. All that he needs. My Lord, if you can just hold on, 
If you can just hang on in the moments when it's desperate, when it's so hard, he'll get you all you need. Praise God today. That's, that's important. But here's the other reason that God told this story. We're all going to face midnights. And he wanted us to know how to deal with the midnights. He wanted us to know how to pray in the time of trouble. He wanted us to know that you got to hold on and you got to keep on praying because you have a friend who can supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He's there. He'll be there with you and he'll be there in the midnight hour. It's one of the greatest things that you can learn. I've got to tell you, that, uh, I, I tell you, I'm preaching out of experience today. You, midnight can come to you at any time. I don't care how old you are. When I was three years old, I was walking home in the midnight, in the darkness from the church. My dad pastor in Granite Falls, North Carolina, and I was walking home from church, and I rolled something underneath my foot, and my brother or somebody turned around with a flashlight and shined it on a copperhead and I'd roll that copperhead underneath my foot and he never bit me I was five years old and I had the mump not the mumps because I only had it on one side <laughs> so I had the mump My Sunday school teacher, Sister Bowles, came walking in the house and said, brought me a little flower. When she stepped in the door, I said, I'm going to give the devil a black eye, and I'm going to get out of this bed. And when my feet hit the floor, the mump was gone. Yeah, look, you can have tough times wherever you are. First grade, broke my arm, both bones, hanging down like that from right here. Sister Bowles was there again. She happened to be at school for some reason. She said, I'll take him home. You know, my teacher thought she was going to get me in the car and take me home. I wrapped my arm in a paper towel and walked. One, I went back and put checked at my car, 1.1 miles home with Sister Bowles with my arm wrapped in a paper towel with both bones broken. You know, I, I was just telling you, anytime you can have problems, you can have any time in your lives, in your life. I'm, I'm 75 now. I'm still having them. Yeah, great. You know, you're going to get to heaven one of these days and uh, all those things will all be over, but Midnight can come at any time. It can, be, it can be a death in the family. It can be problems that you're having with people, financial loss. It can be struggles. Of, uh, it can be health issues. It can be about anything that happens. But you got to understand that you've got a friend at midnight. You need to know. Let me tell you this. You need to know this. God knows how to take care of things at midnight. If you can just get to the house of prayer, the place of sustenance, the place where you can receive, 
And you know where it is. If you know you've got a friend that's there at midnight, you don't fear the midnights. I don't fear what I'm going through. I don't fear the midnights. I don't, I don't, gee. A doctor looked at me one day and said, you got to have open heart surgery. Your, the, your main artery, the widow blocker, is a, is 100% blocked. I said, oh, that's good. The, the two others were 90% blocked. You know what Joel Malton and I had been doing the, the week before that? We'd been in Myrtle Beach. I was playing golf in 105 temperature. And old Joel and I, we'd stagger around. I hardly knew where we were. It was so hot. I said, Doc, you know where I was last week? He said, somebody's taking care of you. I said, yeah, sure enough. He said, we gotta, you got to have surgery. I said, let's, go, let's do it. I don't know if you'd ever had anybody say that before. I looked and I said, let's do it. Let's go do it. You know, I wasn't a bit afraid. I wasn't a bit worried because I knew. I knew you had somebody that was with me that was bigger than the problem I was facing. You know, you got to be a friend there at midnight. God can take care of the midnights. Now, there's a lot of things I want to say today, and I've, 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 you don't know how many times I've preached this message over the last three years. It's been three years and something since I've preached. So I'm not going to try to put it all on you today, but this, I've gone through this thing a number of times because God gave it to me back in 2016, and I've been wanting to preach it ever since. So you know how happy I am today, how thrilled I am today just to be able to preach this. And I hope, I hope it'll bless somebody here. God knows how to take care of the midnight. His people, the Israelites, were in bondage in Egypt. And uh, it, was, it was terrible. They were slaves. They were workers there. They were making bricks. They were, going, they were having all kinds of problems. They had been there for a long, long time. But God spoke to a man by the name of Moses and said, You go down there and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. It's time for them to come out of that darkness. It's time for them to come out of those problems. I'm going to take them to a promised land. I'm going to take them to a place of victory. I'm going to take them to a place of milk and honey. I'm going to take them to the place that I want them to be. So God sends Moses down there. Moses says to Pharaoh, said, uh, let, let the people go. Pharaoh sort of laughed at him. He said, God said it. I didn't say it. You let the people go. Pharaoh says, who is this God? I don't know who this God is. I don't, I don't, have, any, I don't have any fear of your God. And so God said, well, hey, I'm going to send some plagues upon them. He sends nine plagues upon the Egyptians, and nothing worked. Moses would go in every time and say, hey, something else is going to come if you don't let, her, let us go. And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let you go. But God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, I've got one more thing I'm going to do. You tell my people that they need to put their shoes on. <laughs> they need to put on their coats. And said, I want you to go to Bari every, every bit of silver and gold you can from these Egyptians. Take all their jewelry. Take everything they got. 
pack your pockets full of all their treasures because this one is going to work and you're going to leave this place. You're going to be marching out of here. He said, listen to this. He said, I'm going to, in Exodus 11 and 4, Moses said, the Lord says about midnight, I'm going to go out through the land of Egypt. Right? It was midnight for them, but at midnight, God was going to come. See, in, in the Bible, midnight can either mean the 12 hours that we know at midnight, the 12th, 12th hour, like when Samson arose at midnight and went out and carried off the gates of the city of Gaza. Uh, or it can mean a terrible time that you're going through, a time of gloom, a time of depression, a time of pain, a time of sorrow. Midnight can mean anything. It can mean those things. And so the, Egypt, the Egyptians had kept them for all these years, and now this midnight is about to come to an end. God says, I'm coming. Here's what's going to happen, Moses. I'm coming through the land at midnight. I'm coming through there as a, either a death angel or a deliverer. I'm coming through there as one who is going to bring doom or going to bring victory. And he said, here's how it's going to be determined, which house is going to enjoy my blessings. He said, I want you to tell the people, this is going to be a new month for you. So a wonderful new beginning for you. You, on the 10th day of this month, go and get a, a little lamb. Get a lamb that's without blemish, a lamb without spot. And take, take him in your house and hold that little lamb. It's precious because that lamb is going to be the one who's going to help you to be delivered. He said, you take that blood of that lamb. I want you to sacrifice that lamb on the 14th day. And I want you to take that blood and put it on the doorpost of your house and put it on the lintel of your house because I'm coming through the land on the night of the 14th at midnight. And when I come through there, said, when I see the blood on the doorpost of your house, I'm not going to have death come, but every Egyptian house, every house that does not have the blood, he said, I'm going to kill the firstborn. The firstborn will die in that house. But when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. Hallelujah. There's going to be a Passover at that time. I'm going to take care of you. My great God, and he did. And when he went through and he, he took care of that problem, Pharaoh said, get out of here. I want you to leave. And God led his people. Moses led the people out of, the, out of Egypt's bondage and went on toward the, the victory land. Listen, I, God has a way. God has a, has a power that is able to overcome every circumstance. I'm just trying to tell you that God is going to be there in the midnight hour. And the midnight hour can mean victory for us while it may be doom for the sinners. Now, Chris talked about, said something about the stem cell. Let me tell you about that. That's, that's a, it's an interesting thing. When uh, a doctor looked at me on May the 23rd in 2013 and he said, uh, you have multiple myeloma, bone marrow cancer. Uh, 
and it's at 80%. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's uh, you, you've heard you've been hit by a train? Boom. Wow. I didn't fall over on the floor and say, oh, my Lord God. I just looked at him and said, really? I knew something was wrong. I'd been out to hospitals visiting people and going to nursing homes. I was, well, I was right there working for the Lord. Came home that night on a Friday night. Got desperately sick, started... Uh, started throwing up. I'm sorry to say that, you know, but I, I, I got very sick. For eight hours, I, th I, I was, I lost 12 pounds in eight hours. <laughs> so, you know, I was desperately sick. That's, that's interesting, is it? 12 pounds in eight hours. I knew something was wrong, but he said, you got bone marrow cancer, 80%. And he said, we've got to work on it. We've got to get it down. If we can get it down to 10%, we'll do a stem cell transplant. So I took 30-some chemotherapy treatments. If you've never taken that, you don't know what it takes out of you. Um, I think about all the things I used to do. Couldn't do them anymore. Thirty some treatments of chemo, and then he said, "Hey, we got it down near ten percent." He said, "We're going to try stem cell." They took eleven million stem cells out of my body and froze them so that they could put back in my body what they needed. Now, when they got ready for the stem cell, they, I was at the hospital, Greenville Memorial. And they said, he said, we're going to give you three big doses of a special chemo. And um, I never knew, you know, what that was going to be like. But he said, we got to destroy everything in you to start over again. So they come in with these three big doses on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. My hair had not fallen out. I, I was doing good. But on Friday, I reached up to scratch my head, and a whole handful of hair. That's how, that's how three those, those three doses worked that quickly. But that wasn't what, I, what they were doing. A nurse would come in my room every day and write, you know, those boards. If you've been in the hospital, they got the names of the nurses and everybody. But down at the bottom, she would come in and write what was happening inside of me. And I watched her come in and she would write. My white cells went from seven down to zero. My hemoglobin, these are all your immune system. My immune system, fighting a disease or anything, my hemoglobin went from 15 down to 0 
my antibodies, my hormones, went from 850 down to 20. My platelets, which is makes your blood, you know, coagulate and everything, my platelets went down from 152,000 to 2,000. And my doctor walked in and looked me in the eye and said, if you get an infection, you're dead. I said, thank you very much. Midnight. Midnight. I mean, I was facing it. And you know what happened when he walked out of the room? He hadn't been gone two hours. I broke out all around here, all down the side of my face. They brought in the infectious disease control. They brought in everybody checking me out. Finally, he comes back and he says, you've got the shingles. <laughs> Isn't this great? I mean, your doctor just said, if you get an infection, you're dead. Midnight. Everybody had gone. I think Phyllis went home that night. I was, I was laying there. I said, Lord, um, they said if I get an infection, I'm dead, and I think this is an infection. And I said, I want a sign that I'm going to be okay. And I went to sleep. Now, I know how often God walks through Greenville Memorial Hospital, but I suppose he comes often. But he came through that night, not as a death angel, but he came through and he saw the blood on the doorpost. Hey, God. Now, that's about the time if I could run, I'd run down the aisle. Oh, great God, I feel him. He saw the blood on the doorpost. And when I woke up the next morning, the shingles had dried up. I never hurt. I never itched. I never had a pain. The scabs were on there for three months. You know, the flaking off the, down around my... I had to have my eye checked twice because I wondered if, it, if something had happened to it. But I, uh, I got, a, I got a, a sign that night from God, the God who works at midnight. <laughs> oh, my. You say, well, you know, we are, yeah, yeah. I've had, I've had bone marrow uh, biopsies and... Uh, uh, oh, I could tell you. I, I don't get into all that, but there's there's two things in your bone mirror. One's called alpha. One's called gamma. And they're supposed to be in a ratio of one to one. When I got this cancer, my my uh, gamma was one. My alpha was five thousand two hundred and fifty. <laughs> 
supposed to be one to one. And it was one to 5,250. You know what it was in my last bone marrow biopsy? It was uh, one to one. <laughs> Hallelujah. My doctor came in and he said, boy, have I got good news for you. You don't have any multiple loma. You don't have any cancer in your body. Great Lord. I'm going to tell you, there's a God who will be there with you at midnight. Yeah, I love the Bible. The Bible's full of so much stuff. It's full of, uh, if you want adventure, you got adventure. If you want love stories, let me tell you one of the greatest. And, I, and you've got to see in this what I'm going to tell you now. One, one of the greatest moves of God in a midnight. There was this lady by the name of Naomi. It's the book of Ruth, but I'll go to it in a minute and show you some scriptures. But uh, there was a lady by the name of Naomi, had a husband by the name of Limelech. Uh, they lived in Bethlehem. Do anybody know that Bethlehem is called the house of bread? <laughs> oh, great. You remember, you got to know where the house of bread is. Well, for some reason, there was a famine in Bethlehem. And so Naomi and Elimelech, her husband, and her two sons, Malon and Chilion leave Bethlehem and go down to the land of Moab. And they live there for 10 years or more. While they're down in the land of Moab, Elimelech dies. So Naomi is left with her two sons, Malon and Chilion. And Malon and Gillian marry young women from, from Moab. Malon marries a girl by the name of Ruth. Chilion marries one by the name of Orpah. And during those 10 years, it's amazing, but Malon dies and Chilion dies. And so here's Naomi now, left only with her two daughters-in-law. And uh, she turns around and looks at him and says, I got nothing for you. I got nothing. Go back to your moms and dads. Orpah said, okay, I will. But Ruth, do you remember if you've read this, she said, I'm not leaving you. Wherever you go, I'm going. Your people will be my people. And listen to this. You've got to, got to hear this. A little Moab girl says, and your God will be my God. Now, keep, keep all this together because you're going to see one of the greatest examples of how God can take a midnight and turn it around. I mean, the, the darkness for Naomi, goodness gracious, you've, you've had to leave your homeland. You're down in a, 
in a strange place. You've lost your husband. You've lost your two sons. Now you've got to go back. You've got to go back home. So she returns with Ruth. She goes back to Bethlehem. Now when she gets back there, friends come out. Oh, it's Naomi. And she says to them, it's in the King James Version. I'm going to show you in a minute what, what the Message Bible says, which is in the, supposed to be in our language. But I was, I'm going to tell you what in, in the King James Version. It says that she got home and they said, oh, it's Naomi. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Because I went out full and I've come back empty. And he's, she said, the Almighty has treated me awful. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me better. Let me show you what it says in the, in, in the, in the message Bible. Put that up. Don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. The strong one has dealt me a bitter blow. I left here full of life, and God has brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back. Why would you call me Naomi? God certainly does, doesn't. The strong one ruined me. My goodness. How much darker can it get when you say, God has run me? God has run me. It's so bad that Ruth has to go out into the fields and pick up grain so they have something to eat. But one day she gets into the field of a rich man, a very wealthy man by the name of Boaz. And after a day or two, Boaz comes over and he starts talking to her. And she says, why would you talk to me? He said, because I've heard of your kindness to Naomi. And, and so he says to the guys who are gleaning the field, he said, leave a little extra grain, some handfuls on purpose for her. And don't you bother her. You let her get all the grain that she wants. She goes home with this extra grain, and Naomi says, where'd you get that? She said, I got it from the field of a rich man called Boaz. And Naomi just probably did a little Holy Ghost dance right then. So, oh, said, you know who Boaz is? Boaz is one of our near kinsmen. Now, what in the world does that mean? He's one of our family. And a near kinsman can redeem us, she said. A near kinsman can, can buy our land. A near kinsman can redeem us in all of what we've gone through. And so she said, I've got a plan. I love this. <laughs> she said, 
Hey, Ruth, I got a plan. You wash yourself and you put on Chanel number four. See, <laughs> didn't have Chanel number five yet. It wasn't created. But you, you put, I don't know what they put on then. I tried to figure out what in the world they put on. Orange juice? I don't know what they, what they wore back then to smell good. But anyhow, you bathe yourself and you anoint yourself. I don't know what, what you anointed yourself with, but whatever. You put on the nicest clothes, nicest dress you got. And tonight I want you to go down to the threshing floor. And while the Boaz, when he goes to sleep, I want you to go over, pull his garment back from his feet, and I want you to lay down at his feet. Now, I want you to see what happens when she goes in and she lays down in Ruth 3, 8 through 9. Oh, great Lord. Boaz is asleep. She's laying at his feet. Look at this. But at midnight, right? At midnight, the man Boaz was startled and turned himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wings, for you're a close relative. Now, I started to think, what startled, what startled Boaz to wake up at midnight? You think an angel nudged him or what? I don't know. I'd love to know. What start? I'm going to ask him when I get to heaven. What startled you at midnight? And why at midnight? He wakes up, and there's this woman laying his feet. It's Ruth. I'm, I'm your maidservant. Take me on your wing. He says to her, I know that you're an honorable woman, but I'm an honorable man too. And there's one kinsman, near kinsman, that's between you and me. He has the right to redeem you. And he said, I'm going to have to settle with him before I can get everything worked out. So he gets that near kinsman, and he takes him to the gate of the city and meets with ten men. And he says to the near kinsman, do you want to redeem Ruth and redeem Naomi's land and buy all of this? And the guy says, uh, yeah, oh, I'd love to. He said, well, you got to take room for Ruth for your wife. He said, oh, you can't do that because that'd mar my inheritance. And he said, can I then have that privilege? And the guy said, yes. And he took off his shoe and gave it to him. That's what they did back then when you made a deal with somebody. I don't know, it was a weird sort of thing, but took your shoe off and gave it to him. And so he said, uh, yeah, you can do it. So Boaz buys the land from them. Now he says to the people of the city, let's go to Ruth, fourth chapter. Why? Why is all this going on? What is God doing? And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I brought... I bought all that was Elimelech's 
and all that was Chilion's and Malon's and from the hand of Na- and from the hand of Naomi. He said, I bought it all, the land, it's of mine. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead. Here it is. Gotta see this. Don't skip this. To perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren. Now, do you, do you, you say, oh my, is that a sexual thing? No, 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 no. It's a lineage thing. You ever read the beget, 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 beget? All those things in the Bible? Things you want to skip over? Matthew, the first chapter. So-and-so begets so-and-so, so Abraham begets so-and-so, and all the way down. Read the first, uh, the fifth verse of that first chapter. Salmon beget Boaz. <laughs> oh my God. When he looked at Ruth, he said, There are children yet to be born to Ruth, so that I their names won't be cut off from the inheritance. Mm -mm. Who was the child born to Boaz and Ruth? Obed. Who was the child born to Obed? Jesse. Who was the child born to Jesse? David, king of Israel, king of the tribe of Judah. Hey, God, and keep on reading down through Matthew, and you'll get down to all the generations until it finally says, and he beget, or Jesus Christ was born of that lineage of the tribe of Judah. He is the line of the tribe of Judah. Do you see what God did in the midnight hour of Naomi and Ruth and all they were going through? He reached down and get a, got a little Boaz girl and brought her back and put her into the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ and put all of this together. I'm telling you, if God can do all of that, look what he can do for you in your midnight hour and the victory that he can bring to you. Great God. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ was born. Son of God. He came to be our friend at midnight. You know, you think about his disciples. They had walked with him for three years. They had uh, been blessed by his ministry. They had seen his miracles. They, they knew he was the son of God. Who do men say that I am? They knew he was the son of God. Uh, but now, here we go to Calvary. Why did Jesus become a man? <laughs> to be our near kinsman. Ooh. We needed a near kinsman to redeem us. We needed a near kinsman to 
but the only way you could do it, oh my goodness, the time's running out. All the way you could do it was to die. Put the blood on the doorpost. God help us. Boy, where did the time go? I was, I was having fun, and now time, crazy clock's gone. I'm going to have to quit in the middle of my sermon. Our near kinsman came, he died. Midnight. It's dark. And in their lives, they saw him die. They saw the blood. They saw it all. And uh, saw the stone rolled over the door of the tomb. Midnight. But praise God, then came the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Boy, if I never had a problem, how would I know that God could solve it? I said, I don't have time to preach all this. I was going to talk to you about Paul and Silas at midnight when the jail rocked and the, all the cells opened up and the jailer was going to kill himself but he had a friend at midnight and Paul said don't do yourself any harm we're all here you may have arrested them but they've been arrested now by the Holy Ghost oh it's something when you get arrested by the Holy Ghost hey God he said they didn't leave they're all here they're all enjoying the miracle they're enjoying the singing don't ever stop singing in the midnight you don't know who's listening. And you know, don't know whose chains are going to fall off. I'm going to keep on singing in the midnight. Hey, God, I'm going to keep singing in the midnight, and I'm going to enjoy it. But uh, the old jailer said, uh, Paul said, this is a work of God. Jailer says, what do I need to do to get saved? I want to get in on it. Here's some chains. I hear some more chains. I knew chains fell off when the, when the jail was shaken. But I hear some more chains falling off. The jailer and his whole household were saved that night. Great God. I was going to talk to you about some other things, but let me get to the last midnight. I got to get to this one. The last midnight. Why did the Son of God come? Put the blood on the doorpost. Because there's going to be another midnight. Going to be a midnight. Uh, Jesus talked about it as the five wise and the five fool, foolish virgins. They were all waiting on something. The five wise had their lamps all trimmed and burning. The foolish, their lights had gone out. They were no longer the children of light. And look at Matthew 25 and 6. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. There's going to be another midnight. All of us are going to be involved in, either as the foolish or the wise. 
the wives had oil in their lamp, but they also had extra oil with them. Foolish said, give us some of your oil. They said, we can't, we're not. I mean, no, you can't get to heaven on somebody else's religion. You can't. So they sent them away to get oil. When they came back, the door was shut. Knock, and you shall receive. But not this time. Not this time. It's too late. It's too late. The door shut. You should have been ready. You should have been ready. Why? For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man is coming. That's what Jesus was teaching. There's coming another midnight. It's called the rapture of the church. When those who are ready, who have the blood on the doorpost, are going to be caught up in the moment of twinkling of an eye. A trumpet, God, a trumpet of God's going to sound. That blast is going to wake up the righteous dead, and they're going to get up out of their tombs. And those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I don't want to miss that. I don't plan to miss it. I'm cutting it short, but I want you to stand with me. Stand with me now. I want to be ready for that day, don't you? I want you to know at that midnight hour, best thing in the world, be prepared to know that there's blood on the doorpost. If there's anybody here this morning that you've never invited Christ into your heart, if you've never been allowed the light of the world to come into you, if your lamp's not trimmed and burning, I want to ask you to do that. I want to ask you to turn your heart over to the Lord. Give your heart to Him right now. When I was 15 years, 16 years old, when I was 16, I said to my dad one Sunday, Give me the car keys. I want to go get Gary, a little 12-year-old boy. He was uh, very sick. He didn't weigh very much. I went over and helped him get dressed, and I brought him to church, and I set him down in the front pew. That morning, I saw that little hand up near praising God. Gary died on Monday. You know, if, if I knew this, somebody here this morning wouldn't say, I'd let come back and pick you up. If I could, I'd carry you down to this altar. Because I don't want you to miss this grand experience of the rapture, of being prepared to meet the Lord. I want you to be there. Would you just bow your heads? If you're not ready, Get ready right now, God, in Jesus' name. We just ask today that in this final midnight that's going to come, that we'd be ready. It could happen this week. I'd love to have that just say to people, go home and think about it. But you can't go home and think about it because it may happen before you get home. It could happen today. It could happen any time. Jesus could come back. Lord, let us be ready. Let our hearts be prepared. Let us give our lives over to you. Let us all be serving you. Let us have our lamps trimmed to burning. Every one of us. 
For such an hour as we think not, the Son of Man cometh. We want to be ready. God bless you today. Thank, thank you, Chris. This has been one of the joys of my life. Come on up, son. Take this. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.